I'm Mark Kane with the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Well, I am so excited, Miriam, to welcome Rob Lacasio on today's podcast. Rob has uh, been a longtime leader in the tech industry uh, and has really thought a lot about the relationship between people and the technology that they use. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing from him about kind of how he approaches that complex and uh, sometimes ethically challenging uh, interface. Yes, I know that Rob will bring an interesting discussion to the show on how he sees technology, how he tries to create different types of technology to be more user-friendly and uh, with the user in mind in all that he does. And I'm particularly excited to share with our listeners why he created Equal AI. I'm excited to hear that from him too. Um, there's lots to lots to discuss today, and um, let's just dive right in. We are thrilled today to be joined by Rob Lacasio. Rob is the founder of Live Person, a company that has revolutionized the way businesses connect with customers through their use of conversational AI. Live Person was on Fast Company's world's most innovative companies list in 2020. Rob is not new to this game. He has been CEO of Live Person since he founded it in 1995, making him one of the longest standing CEOs of tech companies today. He has had an astounding journey from surviving the dot-com crash to becoming a leader in conversational AI and intelligent engagement solutions. I should mention, I'm proud to report that, that Rob is a founding member of Equal AI, uh, and he's also done a lot of good in the non-AI space as well. He established the Dream Big Foundation, uh, which does important work such as Feeding NYC uh, and, and the Dream Big Entrepreneurship Initiative. I know Rob does a lot in the entrepreneurship space, and we look forward to talking about some of that today. So welcome, Rob. We're so pleased to have you. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Well, I'd love to start off with the basic foundational question uh, for me, anyhow. What led you to decide to found Equal AI, and what were you hoping to achieve by establishing this organization? You know, I, I uh, it started with um, well, there's there's two stories kind of back to back. One is that Elon Musk somewhere uh, before it was a couple of years ago put, said, you know, AI is an existential threat to humanity. And I thought that was kind of interesting. It put a lot of fear and doubt into the world and, and talked about the ability for a machine to copy someone and create wars and do all sorts of destructive things and or take our jobs. So you can add that to the list. And then the other thing is I, you know, my daughter who was two years old at the time, um, you know, we have Alexa in the home and you could see that her interaction with this machine, she thought was a person. Like there's somebody in the box, a woman in the box, as a matter of fact, because it's a woman's voice. And I started to search around about, they did a lot of research around how uh, kids see parents scream at the AI and say bad things to Alexa and, and, these, and the kids are picking it up. So it started started me digging about well, even why is Alexa a woman? Why is it a woman's voice? And it was very, the, the story is, you know, Jeff Bezos liked the uh, voice. There was a woman's voice on the holodeck of the uh, Starship Enterprise. And that was a good reason to have a woman's voice. And so I started to think about the, the bigger picture of, in technology, we kind of test and learn 
our way into things and that's an excuse to to do all sorts of stuff. But I started thinking about, first of all, that I believe AI, because my company's involved with it, can be a tool for you know helping people free up capacity and um, help them with work that's kind of maybe mundane, allow them to have more time to do more fruitful things. And the second part was I thought that um, there needs to be a set of frameworks and guidelines for all of us to adhere to that are in a neutral place, not, not with one company. And as I started to look around, I saw that Google and IBM, everyone's gonna create their own standards of AI and equality so they could own it. So they, when they go to market, they can say, our AI is more better, fair, just against someone else. I'm like, I don't think we should be competing on fair, just, and uh, equal. I think we should all just be uh, put that in the public domain. And that was really the, the goal and is the goal today of, of Equal AI. It's fantastic. And it's um, really inspiring. And I want to dive into a couple of different aspects of, of that goal and that response. But before we do, I just want to rewind a couple of decades. You were, as Miriam said, one of the um, one of the early tech CEOs and founders who um, has survived and thrived through a, a really um, wild period for tech and for AI. I'm curious what first got you interested in AI back in the 90s before it was uh, you know, cool and popular? Um, and, and, and what have you seen happen over the course of, of your career in this space? What's changed and, um, and, 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 and what, where are we now? So yeah, so when I started the company, I never had a vision of AI because back in the 90s, it didn't really exist. But I did have a vision about conversations between people. And that's why I invented web chat back in 1997 is when I saw it, when I was involved with the internet in 95, it was just these basic websites and there was no people there. And I thought, man, where's the people in the stores, you know, in the webs, in the digital store. And, and I remember a lot of times you had to hang up your dial up connection back then and get on a call and call someone at a brand and tell them you were looking at the website. And I thought it's a very disconnected experience, but I've always felt that, you know, the, the conversations power something. Now, what is that? You know, when you look scientifically, what it is, is uh, empathy, empathy between two people is shared many times through conversations, through storytelling. You tell me something of your life, I, or, or something that's going in your life, I, I can, I can relate to that. I can feel a connection, a special connection to you. So the conversation is, is, is very powerful. What happened was, is, you know, pretty much through the 2000s, I, I always saw auto, automating chats. There were FAQs in these chats and I thought they're terrible. And it wasn't until we made a pivot in uh, you know, 2016 that I started to think we can take the data set that we have and we have a very large data set of conversations between brands and consumers, like a billion conversations. And we can look at these conversations because we have these tools that can really understand what's the sentiment of a conversation and, and, and the intent of conversations. And only there could I think a machine could possibly have a conversation equal to a human. And, and that's where I kind of made my journey. So I started out as a you know, human conversation to automating things look pretty bad to with the tools and technologies and the ability to use large data sets, we can get to a place where conversations can be had by machines and maybe even empathy can be achieved. 
a, a lofty goal and a, one that it will be interesting, an interesting journey to see if we can get there. Um, you spend a lot of time sharing these insights, particularly with other entrepreneurs. Uh, you spend a lot of time developing your own uh, big uh, employee base and, and your fellow executives. And I'm wondering, as you create and build and give back through Equal AI and your Dream Big Foundation uh, and your social media discussions with, with entrepreneurs, what motivates you? And is there somebody, are there, is there someone in mind who motivates you? Um, you know, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of motivations in the, in the world, but I mean, I guess there's motivations and inspirations. So I guess if I, if I look at, um, you know, the things that motivate me are the ability to think that we can, that this company that I've, I started, that we can have an impact in the world and change um, and, and create a different framework for technology. And I think that the current technology framework is um, you're a number. And actually, I think the, the current framework of our relationships with some of the most important institutions in our life, like banks and, and our healthcare and our doctors is you're a, you're a number. You're, no more, you're nothing more than a number. And everything, because technology is enabled, all of these used to be trusted um, organizations to kind of like understand how to scale us, how to scale the relationships with us. And, and that's where big tech has ended up. Like we can take your data and, and then we can do stuff with it. And whether it harms you or harms society, it doesn't matter. You, you gave it to us. And if I just be more clear is I just feel like we need to get back to a place where personal relationships and the individual and the community of individuals is what matters and technology can power that. So when I talked about the equality, equal AI, and or we call it empath, you know, empathetic AI, it's about building and using machines to create greater community, greater focus on the individual as a, as a person and not as a number, and the connection that we can bring between people and the machine from an empathy perspective that I feel like this machine loves me and cares for me. And so this is kind of where we're trying to go as a company. And this is what inspires me to get up after 25 years and work. Uh, I, I think there's a real shift that's going on, especially post COVID that people are going to want more. They're going to want their technology companies to try to take a shot at this. I, I want to dig a little bit deeper into this. I think it's a, it's a really important, set of observations you've just made. And uh, I think your career has spanned a period where technology has gone from being something where, as you say, you had to turn off your internet so that you could pick up the phone to call someone to something that is just you know ubiquitous in every aspect of our lives. And um, I guess, you know, I agree with everything you've just said. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners, I'm wondering if you know, are there any examples that you could cite of, uh, you know, positive stories, whether it's products that you're working on a live person or things that you've seen out in the ecosystem of where a company or a nonprofit or, or, or someone else has really landed that and really found ways to make their technology humane and really benefit the individual and benefit society? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, we just um, we just launched a bank called Abella, and so it's our it's our culmination of a few years' work is to take our technology platform that you know many other banks use around the world and telcos, and we work with all these large enterprises, but we took it and said, let's build something, you know, that would change the game in banking. Today, there's a big distrust for banks. Today, there's, um, you're really treated like a number. And I don't know if I ask you, like, what's the value of a bank? I don't know if you could tell me what the value of the bank is outside of, well, my money um, won't get stolen. Although sometimes they steal your money too. Depends on how you look at it. So we said, let's build a bank. Let's base it on a conversational AI called Bella. Let's drive the purpose of that bank to be about tenderness and um, trust and equality. And, you know, let's put it in the world. So we put it in the world about 10 weeks ago. We've had 30,000 people sign up. And what some of the cool things you could do in it is, for instance, like there's a, a, an, an account called Karma, like a saving, like a, like a bank, it's like a bank, it's like a savings account, but you put 20 bucks in it and it goes out. And we, what we're, where we started was it'll just, Bella takes the $20, breaks it into little pieces and goes and surprise and delights people, and gives them a little piece of joy. So if you use the Bella debit card and you're getting, you know, lunch, it, it, Bella may pop up and say, you know, the lunch is on me uh, or hey, the lunch is from Robert. Uh, and you don't even know who Robert is, and you have the ability to say thank you back to me. So we're, we're creating this community, but we're now um, in about two weeks, we're gonna make it so you can direct the giving. So you can say, I wanna give it to certain people, or I wanna give it to organizations, or I can elect an organization into the Bella membership that people, other people could help donate to and, and, and take care of. So, so, you know, AI is powering all that. We're like, we're, we're looking at how to like, you know, connect, create the connection between people with that. One of the things we're not doing is like taking your data and doing anything with it. We're, we're using more sort of uh, intelligently randomizing things uh, versus trying to figure out how, who you are and should we give you this? We're kind of letting the, the system itself create random acts of kindness, which turns out works pretty well. That's awesome. Um, and just another example of what anyone who knows Rob knows is that your creativity knows no bounds. I think there's very few areas that you have not experimented, built, created. Um, and I think uh, one thing I've been privy to, I don't know if everyone has heard as much about, uh, we've had some really interesting conversations with lawmakers. Um, you've uh, had we've had meals and, and events where you've shared some of your policy recommendations based on your uh, real broad experience in, in building in all these different heavily regulated and some under-regulated areas. Um, so I'm curious, Rob, if you were meeting with President Biden and you were to give him one or two pieces of advice of what he needs to do to make sure that the AI we build is successful and ethical, uh, what those recommendations would be? You know, I, I uh, not to play uh, capitalist here for a second, but I, I think the most important thing is the government has really very little tools to um, do things, except they have one giant cannon to do things, and that's they can print money, and they're going about to do that. 
I think the best thing they could do is fund and invest through whatever vehicles they would like to smaller companies and, and, and science. And there's like, there's also startups that are just science, like just science data scientists and data engineers that they may or may not produce product, but they produce stuff that other people can use. I think the thing that he, I think where they tend to gravitate is that they want to be competitive against China because China has done a lot in AI and they're funding a lot over there and they created standards. So I think one thing is, I think he's got to create the standards of what he thinks ethical AI is and AI of equality and diversity. I think that's what would be unique here in our country. And then the second thing is he's got to create a, fund, a method of funding that just doesn't go to Google and Microsoft and Amazon and Facebook and IBM. And, and all he's an Oracle, but he got to create a way because those companies, if they keep retaining their power, especially in AI, um, and I've seen this, they, in my world, we, we're lucky, we, we charge a lot for our software. We were the first out in the market with this conversational AI thing experience about five years ago, but the startup world, it's not very, it was very frothy. All these quote unquote bot makers were out there. And then IBM and everyone, I mean, everyone just, especially Google, they just dumped their software. I mean, they're basically giving it away to the enterprise. So the enterprise is like, I'm, I either go with this, company wants to charge me or I get, I get Google's AI software for like nothing for very little money. So I think the best thing they can do is set the standards and, and be clear about them like China did, and then get a funding mechanism to take billions of dollars into our world and fund companies like ours. You know, we're, we're 1300 employees, we're public, but we're not Google and then start funding companies that are smaller, you know, so that, that's what I would do. I love that. I think that's um, uh, an important issue that's come up uh, in a number of our conversations is the you know uh, concentration and um, the structure of the the industry and the sector and um, you know what actually constitutes a kind of healthy, robust AI ecosystem in the U.S. and and I think that's a, a really important perspective you've just shared uh, on the question of the the AI ecosystem in the U.S. Um, we are hoping that uh, some of our listeners are, are young people who are uh, thinking about a career in ethical AI. Um, you have you know, tremendous experience as an entrepreneur and have seen uh, all different aspects of, of the space. I'm curious what advice you would give to a young person um, who is thinking about a career in AI. Uh, how can they position themselves for success? And um, you know, what are some of the needs that the space is facing and that it will be facing in the years ahead? Yeah, so I mean, the entry level position. I mean, outside if you're an engineer, if you're an engineer, you're a data scientist. Actually, uh, you can ask. You can pretty much request any salary you want with re within reason. So, the the like we there's an arms race for data scientists, especially. So I think if you come out of great university and and you're and you got a PhD and you're in data science, it's kind of easy. Now, I didn't I didn't get a PhD, so. So I, I kind of have to, I've had to go the other way, which is how do you work your way into learning? And so in, in our world, there are these things called conversational designers. And there are people, those are people who really get their hand on the technology, but they're responsible for actually trying to make an automation feel great. And, and it's a skill. As a matter of fact, we, we work with like contact center reps 
who normally were doing chats or taking voice calls and well, they're, they're good conversationalists. So also good designers. Um, so I just think if you, that's a, a very entry level job where really we're even willing to train people to do that. And then you can work your way up into engineering. You can work your way into science. But I always think the most important thing is you got to get your hands on the tool set. So I think that that's a good thing. And then if you're an entrepreneur starting a company, I think what I would recommend is that you don't create a general tool set, like a, a, just a general bot platform. It's kind of over already, that, that world. I would try to be very specific to an industry and, and try to get very focused on an industry or and I would also try to do something consumer focused versus like try to make something that brands are going to use like our, a B2B business. If you like we, we uh, this, what we create with Bella and the bank um, is exciting. So you can think about travel, you can think about all these different verticals and create something out there that you can make it really easy for people to, um, you know, engage with an AI and get something done in their life that normally would take hours to do. And that, that's kind of where I would, I would focus today. I guess asking the similar question, but from a different lens, uh, you give so much thought to creation and mobilizing others to be able to create and, and build. I'm curious with your own children, you have young children, are, are there things you're doing in your own home to teach them to be entrepreneurial, uh, to teach them to engage with computer science? Uh, and likewise, in live person, um, what you're doing to get your employees uh, more Deep, deeper and, and more experienced and facile with these new conversations and technologies? Yeah, I mean, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I, I, I basically instituted a program called AI Native in our company. And so what I realized is like, if we want to be an AI company and the best in the world, everybody, whether you're in legal, you're in finance, you're selling, you're going to have to be very proficient in AI. Doesn't mean particularly coding, but you got to talk to it as a native, as an expert. And so we have the AI native program, which we're going to um, put out there somewhere publicly, you know, as in let others use it and we'll do some external training. Right now we're just focused internally, like perfecting it. But every day there's something going on uh, running that I can jump into for an hour. We have when you start in the company, there's a series of things you have to do. But we, it's an ongoing thing. It's not a one and done thing. So, so I think as a C, as a CEO, it's you know, it's I don't care what business you're in. I would become an AI native. It's just like for myself, it's very important. Interesting enough, last year I changed my CFO, and I put a data scientist in as my CFO. Never been a public company CFO. Doesn't now you know, but he he actually built. Uh, he was a data scientist at MIT, and then he ran a hedge fund and built all the algorithms to do, you know, trading using big data. And I brought him in, and I'm like, you're going to be the CFO, and this is the way I think every CFO is going to go down the line, because he, the, the CFO role has so much data coming into it, and most CFOs don't have an understanding of how to make that available and make it usable with machines. So they tend to like outsource to consultants and they, we buy third party software. It goes nowhere. He's been building systems. We internally, he's got a data science, he's got a data science and engineering group. 
and, and we're able to, to understand our business much better. So I think as a CEO of a company, there are so many roles that are going to be AI people. And I, I would just say that, you know, it's a, it's a good way to think for my kids. They're, they're young, you know, I, I've, uh, they're four years old and three and a newborn. So, you know, I, I, I try to get them uh, engaged with technology as much as I can. Uh, they probably have a few more years to go, but uh, obviously all the stuff, that, I think the idea of women and, um, you know, people of color and people, underserved communities um, need to get in this. And, you know, I'd be very proud father of my daughter decided to become an engineer one day. And, and, you know, I think the world needs more of this about 30% of our, of our engineering group are, are women today. Um, but, you know, we'd like to get to a place where 50% of the total population is uh, people of color and women. So that that's our goal. And that's what we're shooting for. That's great, Robin, you know, uh, unfortunately, that 30% figure puts you well ahead of the pack, uh, as I'm sure you're well aware. Um, and I think uh, Miriam and I share the goal of, of, of moving towards, um, uh, you know, much more um, equal representation and participation. Um, and also, I should say, CFOs, uh, you know, should be on notice, it sounds like. Um, and, and this message of literacy, you know, not just for that job function, but for, for, for all of them really is um, an important one uh, for us to take away. Um, we typically end our, our interviews with, uh, with uh, the same question for all of our interviewees. And so we wanted to put it to you too, uh, particularly given that you've been in the AI space now for so long and have seen so many sides of it. Uh, we'd like to ask our guests uh, to share with us a, a rose, a thorn, and a bud in AI. And the rose is something that you've seen or experienced or done recently that you're excited about. And it's really positive. The thorn is something that's frightening or um, negative that you've seen that you'd like to see less of. Uh, and the bud is something coming down the pipeline that um, you're really excited about uh, for the future. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I think the thorn is is why we started Equal AI, which is we still see these cases come out about how AI was discriminating against somebody or, or we still know that um, there are systems in the world, whether they're in the um, police departments, whatever that I know there's more focus on it, but there are still creating issues around using big data to basically target people. Um, you know, and, and do things to them. So I, I think there's always the, you know, the other thing is like bots. There's just like, we don't know how many bots exist in the world. We saw parts of this during the election is that on social media, there people are using these automations to be human, look human, feel human as in, and, and register their opinions in quantity. And, um, and that creates a lot of disinformation and so I think this is kind of the thorn. The, you know, the rose is, if we think about all the stuff, like just the small stuff we see, like autonomous driving cars and all the things that will, you know, free our capacity. And I think there's a, there's a yin and yang to that. We fear, we tend to fear uh, the rose as in, it looks like a job loss, but I think we've proven over time that humans don't like to be bored. Like we were built to keep self trying to self actualize. So if you give us more time, we usually don't sit around and waste it. 
no matter who you are, we're always trying to get someplace. So the, the concepts that we can replace a lot of, you know, jobs, I, I, it's, it's not going to be, I don't believe job loss. There's a temporary one that I believe the government does have to be a part of retraining and everything, but we've had this before factories, factories are machines. They weren't with machines and then they, and jobs were lost, but we're in a better place for it. So I think that's, that's kind of the rose is the capacity that, that we can get through, through some of the things we're, we're seeing, we're seeing today. And then the bud to me is really the vision I painted and it's the thing I'm chasing, which is I truly believe one day there'll be, or maybe there's a series of things that are in our life that we're trusting, like ours is Bella, and that you can have this conversation with and you can feel like it's really um, there to help me. It's, and I trust it and it's mine, it's my AI. You know, even though a company may have created the bones of it, it's mine. And I know it would never turn on me. I know it would never do anything to hurt me. So that's that's kind of where I see the future. We will have that in our home one day. And I, I don't think it's Alexa. I think Alexa's taken a path and it's and it's not bad. It plays great music, but it's not really it hasn't really done anything in the last three or three years when you think about it. It just keeps playing music. They haven't made it anything that I think is exciting. I don't sit down to Alexa and have a, a drink with Alexa. So there's some future in that, but uh, we'll see. Until we get to the empathetic Alexa. Until empathetic, exactly. Well, Rob, thank you so much for your time and your thoughts. As always, you give us so much to think about, and I really appreciate your sharing your thoughts and your experience with our listeners today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, Mark, as always, Rob Lacasio gives us a lot to think about. I thought that was really a, a very rich conversation. I... Certainly learned a lot. I think Rob has a unique perspective as someone who's been in the technology industry for a, a long inter, uninterrupted period as a, as a CEO. And he really just brings a very humane lens to his, his approach to technology. And I, I really appreciated that. Uh, he talked a number of times of sort of not making people feel like they're just a number um, in terms of how companies uh, engage with their customers. And uh, I just thought that was really unique in an age where uh, we're uh, surrounded by kind of ubiquitous uh, data collection and um, all kinds of targeted advertising uh, and much else. Anything in particular that jumped out to you, Miriam? Yeah, I think it was so interesting that he started our journey in the discussion and, and with Equal AI talking about this gender lens of the electronic assistance and really deconstructing why that is and how it could be impacting us and his own children, all of our children, uh, and then took us through this discussion and journey to where he's ultimately hoping to go to empathetic AI, back to uh, a persona, if you will, uh, that understands us and that thinks of us or respects us in, in some way, uh, as opposed to using our data for its own good without our understanding our awareness. Yeah, it's a very humanistic sort of approach to, to technology and one that um, I think it would be great to see a lot more of uh, across the, the technology space. Yeah, really interesting stuff and uh, look forward to the next discussion with you. We'll see you soon, Miriam. You have just listened to In AI We Trust, hosted by Miriam Vogel from Equal AI and me, Mark Kane from the World Economic Forum. 
subscribe to or download our podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Play. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. And to learn more or get involved, please visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org.